God, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, Speak clearly now by your spirit. Open our hearts and our minds to receive everything that you have for us uh, from the scripture. Uh, We love you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome everyone, especially uh, to you if you're an online guest uh, to Fifth Church this week. We're all participating online this week, like most other churches. I'm standing in an empty sanctuary preaching this message. And if you have somehow uh, found our website, either through an invitation of a a friend or member of this church, or if you just stumbled across it, we do welcome you. It's good to be worshiping together, even in this kind of format. Uh, As we kind of sorted through our response to the virus and how to proceed as a congregation, we decided to continue our Lenten series in the Psalms rather than, uh, you know, working up some kind of special series for what's happening in our world. And our reasoning for that was that the Psalms are kind of perfect for this time. They speak to us where we are emotionally Uh, The Psalms are God's prayer book to his people, and in them we find the whole spectrum of human experience, including fear and anxiety, and the Psalm we'll be looking at today really speaks to those. Uh, So we're we're hanging with this series in the Psalms titled Christ With Us. It's a Lenten series, and if you're newer to following Jesus or just new to the idea of Lent, this season in the church year is intended to parallel the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted. It's a story recorded in the Bible right after Jesus' baptism. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, the desert of Judea, where he was tempted in many ways that, that we are, big, big categories of temptation, appetite, ambition, and approval. He confronted all of those. He's experienced what we experience in this life. And for us, that's a tremendous comfort because we know that God can relate to what we're experiencing, that he has experienced it himself, and he shows us the way through it. And in in this season, we cling to this promise that Jesus made to his disciples when he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And these psalms really help us engage that reality that Jesus is with us right now. God is not just a religious idea. God is a person, and God is with us right now. Uh, So far in this series, we've looked at Psalm 32, relief from guilt, Psalm 121, help in helplessness, and Psalm 95, worship versus rebellion. And this week, of course, we look at Psalm 23, comfort in valleys, very appropriate for this rather unprecedented time in which we find ourselves. The Bible is largely a collection of books written by people of humble origin and means who were guided by God through the Holy Spirit to convey a message from God to people. And as such, much of the imagery and teaching of the Bible involves agricultural references that would have been commonly understood by most people back then. Because people were familiar with the countryside and rural life. This was a common existence for most people. Now, our experience today is quite different than that. Uh, Most of us, in in our context, live in cities or suburbs. Most of us are not intimately familiar with the ways of sheep and wheat and soil and grapes. And so some of the imagery and teaching of the Bible needs to be unpacked a little 
for us to get the full meaning of it. And Psalm 23 is a great example of this. It's probably one of the most recognized passages in the whole Bible. And as followers of Jesus, it brings us great comfort as it's intended to. And there's a deeper level of understanding that comes from the perspective of people who have worked with sheep. People who know sheep, actual shepherds, sheep herders. It was not long after I became a Christian, uh, right at the end of college, when a friend of mine named Shannon gave me a book titled, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, written by a guy named Philip Keller. Uh, She inscribed the book to me with this. John, among the many volumes of good Christian reading materials, there are several must-have books for one's library. This is one of them. Read, enjoy, and reread. Your sister in Christ, Shannon. Well, I did read it. I did enjoy it, and I have reread it, and I recommend it to you, especially now in this season of uncertainty and anxiety. Again, it's titled, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. I reread it recently and found it very comforting. Keller grew up in East Africa among native shepherds whose customs were very similar to those in the Middle East. He knows Eastern shepherds. Then he himself became a shepherd, a sheep owner and rancher for nearly a decade. After having purchased his first 30 sheep with money, he earned, quote, by the blood, sweat, and tears drawn from my own body during the desperate grinding years of the Depression. The Great Depression, he means. He took the money he earned during the Great Depression and bought sheep. That was really hard to earn money during the Great Depression. So he spent everything he had to purchase these 30 sheep. And this created a very close connection between him and his flock. And he said that while not apparent on the surface to the casual observer, those 30 sheep were exceedingly precious to him. In addition to all this, he was a follower of Jesus, a Christian. And suddenly he found that his faith, his knowledge of sheep, And the way he acquired his first 30 sheep, having bought them with his own blood, sweat, and tears, put him in a very unique place to read Psalm 23 with fresh eyes. Those of a good shepherd who purchased his sheep and cares for them deeply. In the introduction to his book, he made note that As far as he understood, it was the first time that a down-to-earth, hard-handed sheep man had ever written at length about the shepherd's psalm. The Bible gives us several images to illustrate our relationship with God, and two of the primary images are those of a father-child relationship and a shepherd-sheep relationship. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uh, tells us that we should begin all of our times of prayer by remembering that that God is our Father, our good, good Father, a, a perfect parent in every way. What an amazing thing that when we pray, we're to begin by remembering the kind of relationship we have with God. In Psalm 23, we get something very similar. The, the, the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. King David wrote this psalm, and it's almost like he's bragging. Hey, So you think you've got a good shepherd? 
Well, check this out. The Lord is my shepherd. So, you know, like beat that. The Lord is my shepherd. The God of the universe who created everything everywhere is the one who is actively caring for me now. I belong to God. I am God's possession. And, and we do. Really, that's not just a religious idea. We belong to God, all of us. And in fact, there are three reasons we need to acknowledge this reality that we, that we belong to God. First, God created every human being. There's a rather obvious and undeniable reality here. No person on earth can make another human being. We're still baffled, ultimately, by what happens at the moment of conception. We really don't know where life comes from. Actually, we do. It comes from God. God creates life. There is no way around that. Only God makes human beings. And in that sense, every person everywhere belongs to God. We are all God's children in that sense. We belong to God. We are his possession And at least according to the scripture, we are his prized possession, his most precious possession. God made us and we are his. Every human being a child of God who bears the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect for that reason alone. Second, God bought us back in Christ. Besides creating us, God took the the gracious and self-giving second step of trying to restore our relationship with him after we had turned our backs on him. Writes the the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The New Testament puts it this way. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And Jesus laid down his life that all of us might be purchased back for God. Redeemed. That's what the word literally means. Purchased out of slavery to sin and restored to God forever. We belong to God because God made us. We belong to God because when we wandered off, God redeemed us in Christ. God purchased us back in Christ. And, and finally, we belong to God because God is the one caring for us now. That's what this psalm is all about, Psalm 23. Here, here's another uh, thought from Keller's book. It's no accident that God has chosen to call us sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind or mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of profound importance. Yet despite these, Christ chooses us, buys us, calls us by name, makes us his own, and delights in caring for us. We belong to God because God made us, God redeemed us, and God cares for us. He laid himself out once on the cross for us, and he lays himself out for us continuously now. God cares for us. The Spirit intercedes for us and and guides us and prays for us when we can't pray for ourselves. God speaks to us, prompting us to lie down in green pastures. 
and rest beside quiet waters. All that we might have the life that is really life and be refreshed to the depths of our souls. And Jesus came to give life and life to the full and he continues that work right now, seeking to lead us and guide us into that reality, uh, both now and forever. In Christ, we are the object of God's concern and diligent care. You know, ours is not a religion just of spiritual ideas. Ours is a faith of trusting relationship with Jesus who is caring for us now. And and that's what David meant when he wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But that wasn't the end of that first verse. There's one more little phrase. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And King David was a shepherd himself. He knew the way of sheep. And he knew that a sheep's life was, was nearly completely dependent on the type of person who owned the sheep. And like all shepherds, he must have ascribed to the no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is formula, show me the sheep and I'll tell you about their shepherd. Philip Keller put it this way, under one shepherd's care, the sheep would struggle, starve, and suffer endless hardship. In another's care, they would flourish and thrive contentedly. When Jesus used this very thought to convey the kind of shepherd he is to people who trust him. Listen to Jesus from John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not know the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. It was a contrast that all the people of Jesus' day would have understood. I mean, you and I have watched enough TV and seen enough movies to know the good cop, bad cop technique for interviewing a suspect. Well, this is the good shepherd, bad shepherd technique for driving home the point that Jesus is a good shepherd, a really good shepherd, that God loves us and cares for us and is caring for us right now. When Keller bought his first 30 sheep and and started his first ranch, he had quite the experience. He, he describes it. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. 
They had only polluted muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. The people of Jesus' day knew good shepherds from bad shepherds. They had vivid images in their minds of flocks that had been well-tended and cared for and loved versus flocks that had been poorly tended, ignored, largely abandoned. Good shepherd, bad shepherd. The good shepherd is the one to whom no trouble is too great as he cares for his flock. He is the rancher who is outstanding because of his fondness for the sheep who loves them for their own sake as well as his personal pleasure in them. He will, if necessary, be on the job 24 hours a day to see that they are properly provided for in every detail. He is the owner who delights in his flock for him there is no greater reward, no deeper satisfaction than that of seeing his sheep contented, well-fed, safe, and flourishing under his care. He will go to no end of trouble and labor to supply them with the finest grazing, the richest pasturage, ample winter feed, and clean water. He will spare himself no pains to provide shelter from storms, protection from ruthless enemies, and the diseases and parasites to which sheep are so susceptible. From early dawn until late at night, his utterly selfless shepherd is alert to the welfare of his flock. For the diligent sheepman rises early and goes out first thing every morning without fail to look over his flock. It is the initial intimate contact of the day. With a practiced, searching, sympathetic eye, he examines the sheep to see that they are fit and content and able to be on their feet. In an instant, he can tell if they have been harmed during the night, whether any are ill, or if there are some which require special attention. Repeatedly throughout the day, he casts his eye over the flock to make sure that all is well, nor even at night is he oblivious to their needs. He sleeps, as it were, with one eye and both ears open, ready at the least sign of trouble to leap up and protect his own. This also from Keller's book. And, and Keller concludes, this is a sublime picture of the care given to those whose lives are under Christ's control. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And we belong to the good shepherd. And this is our comfort in valleys. Our congregation is, is guided by some historic standards of faith, creeds, and confessions. One of those is called the Heidelberg Catechism, and question and answer number one is quite famous. Here it is. Question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid 
for all my sins with his precious blood and he has and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Our comfort in valleys is that we belong to Jesus. And because of that great truth, spiritual valleys, emotional valleys, any other kind of valleys that we experience in life do not have to constitute a crisis of faith for us. At the end of the day, at the end of every day, we still belong to Jesus. Because of that, a valley is not necessarily a crisis because, after all, it's just a valley. According to what Jesus said, he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep and calls them by name. The good shepherd is known by his sheep. They know his voice. And as his people, we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We are the object of God's concern and diligent care all the time. No matter where we are, no matter what we are experiencing. You do know that this is the secret. The the secret the Apostle Paul referred to in Philippians when he wrote this. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret is that we belong to Jesus, the good shepherd. He himself is our comfort in valleys. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, please. God, thank you that as we walk dark valleys, we can have full assurance that you know the way, that you've walked that valley before us, that you are with us in the midst of it, and that you are actively caring for us. Indeed, Lord, you are our shepherd. And because of that, We lack nothing. Surely, your goodness and love will follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.